0: Uh, Good morning. Uh, The the reading this morning uh, is from uh, Numbers, uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, which is the sending out to explore the land of Canaan, and then moving on to uh, chapter 13, verse 25 to 14, uh, verse 9, which is the report back. So that's Numbers, page 13, it's on page 150 of the Pew Bibles, Uh, it's Numbers, chapter 13, And moving on to chapter 14, page 150. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked looked to them, and we looked the same to them. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt, or in this desert... Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we pass through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: A prayer as we sit. Lord, thank you uh, that you are the faithful one who is so unchanging. We pray that you'll now send your light and your truth to illuminate your words to us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Have you ever been on a long motorway journey to somewhere new and exciting and missed the motorway exit where you needed to turn off? Sometimes there'll be awesome nodding around the the church. (laughs) Yes, sometimes there'll be another exit for the same town a a bit further on. You drive a few extra miles and then approach the town from a different direction. But there may not be another exit for that place. So when you reach the next junction, you have to leave the motorway, go all the way around the roundabout, drive back in the opposite direction to the exit that you should have taken in the first place. And it's rather frustrating when that happens. And it's even worse if you think you can find your own way to the town by taking a shortcut on some minor roads and you end up getting completely lost. Well, many writers and many preachers have compared life to a journey. It's such a popular illustration. I rarely go to a a training day for for readers, uh, as as we're called, those of us that that preach but aren't revved up with dog collars. Um, And uh, I had one yesterday in Wells, yes, half an hour into it, Bishop Peter... Our life and the journey, I thought, great, yes, (laughs) it's as usual. But it's a very popular illustration of our lives in all sorts of of contexts, not just in the Bath and Wells Diocese. (laughs) Moments of decision then in our life are then rather like the junctions where we can take different routes. And there are times, aren't there, in our lives when we realise we've made wrong decisions Or we've missed out on some opportunity, rather like missing that motorway exit. And sometimes we can find our way back onto our original course, perhaps with some delay or frustration. But other times we find that we have to rethink our plans entirely. And I wonder whether you can relate to that experience of missing the turning at some stage or some stages in your life, perhaps in your Working career, just listening to Dorcas a few moments ago, it must have seemed like that when those temporary contracts came to an end until the new one turned up. Perhaps we feel that we've missed a turning in a key relationship. Perhaps in our coming to Christian faith or in our growth as a Christian, moments when we could have taken up a challenge, but we held back because of problems that we might meet along the way. I think it's important to recognise such moments when we have choices to make so that we don't miss out on opportunities for service or for blessing that God gives us. And it was just such a moment of choice that the Israelites faced in our reading from Numbers chapter 13 there. And do keep it open if you'd like at page 150 in the Pew Bible so you can follow as we pick out some points in the story. I mean, just to sum up uh, what's the story so far, they'd already experienced God's love and power in many challenging situations, being rescued from slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, a much stronger power than they were going to face of any of those tribes in Canaan. They'd experienced God's love and power crossing the Red Sea or Sea of Reeds that flowed back to drown the Egyptian army that was pursuing them. We were thinking just last week they were seeing God's love and power in being fed with quails and previously with manna in the wilderness, being given the Ten Commandments and other rules for living when God revealed himself to them on Mount Sinai. And now they travelled on across the wilderness over a period of months until they were only 50 miles or so from the edge of the promised land that land that's now Israel, but was then partially inhabited by various tribes. The land that God had promised to Abraham and to succeeding generations who'd lived there for a time before they took refuge in Egypt from a famine and ended up becoming slaves. So now that they were so close, Moses and Aaron sent out representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel to find out about the land and its produce, about its inhabitants their cities and then to report back to them, as we just heard a moment ago. All the spies agreed, spies agreed that the land was fertile, it was flowing with milk and honey. I always loved that illustration, when hearing it when I was a child, I wasn't so sure about the milk, because that usually came lukewarm in little bottles at break times, but uh, flowing with honey did sound rather good. Those two images, a land that would nourish the people and make life sweet but the spies, that group of 12, well, they disagreed about the prospects for taking over the land. The majority thought it would be just too hard, whilst Caleb and Joshua insisted that they could overcome the opposition. So the people as a whole had to decide which report to accept, whether they'd focus on the problems or whether they'd focus on the opportunities, which gives us our theme for today. Do we focus on the problems or on the opportunities? And the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, sees many parallels, comparisons between the story of God's people in the Old Testament, part of which we heard today, and the experience of of us as Christians, especially when they looked at that portion of the Old Testament story of that exodus from Egypt and the journey through the wilderness to the promised land. Just a few examples. The Israelites, well, they've been rescued from slavery in Egypt to enjoy a new life of freedom, serving God. Just as we've been rescued from slavery to sin, to enjoy the freedom of life directed and empowered by the Spirit. The deciding moment in their rescue was the, the final plague, where the angel of death passed over the houses that were marked with the blood of a lamb just as we are forgiven through the blood of a lamb, through Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. Crossing the waters of the Red Sea marked the Israelites' escape from their old life of slavery, just as the waters of baptism are a symbol of beginning a new spiritual life. As they travelled through the wilderness, the Israelites were free but they hadn't yet reached their destiny in the promised land. Just as we Christians travel through life forgiven, but not yet enjoying the fullness of life in God's new kingdom. And so, various New Testament writers encourage us to use this part of the story of God's Old Testament people as an encouragement to follow the examples of those who are faithful and as a warning to avoid the mistakes of those who turned away from God. Well, in today's reading from Numbers chapter 13, those who turned away from God were the majority of the spies and the crowd that they won over to their point of view, that it was too hard for them to enter the promised land. We see that in verse 31 of chapter 13. Yes, chapter 13. I'm getting my chapters muddled up. Verse 13, chapter of... Verse 31... Numbers 30, but the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack these people, they're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And all the spies agreed that there were large warriors there, compared to whom they seemed like grasshoppers amongst the inhabitants of Canaan. But the majority seemed to have forgotten how God had helped them overcome much greater opposition in the past. They simply, as it were, left God out of their calculations. And the crowd responded by sharing their negativity. We read that they raised their voices and wept aloud, which would only have reinforced their doubts. And then their doubts turned to grumbling. and grumbling's probably too mild a word. You could say they protested or stirred up resentment towards the leadership. This time, chapter 14, verse 2. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? You can see there that underneath their complaints against the leaders was complaining against God. And their repeated determination to go back to Egypt well, that was an ungrateful rejection of all that God had already done for them. And the suggestion that they should choose a new leader to take them back there was a rejection of the leaders that God had given them. And this sort of progression from doubt or uncertainty to grumbling, to complaints, to ingratitude, to rebellion, is a path that we can too easily follow ourselves. We need to constantly remind ourselves, both in our own prayers and when we come together to worship, of all that God has done for us. I think Fran was saying just at the beginning, wasn't she, prayer and th- praise and thanksgiving, it's a good thing to do, even if we're not in the mood. And perhaps it's, perhaps it's even more important, yes, that was what you said, it's more important when we're not in the mood to praise that we do so and do thank God for all that he's done for us. And that's the best remedy for that spirit of moaning and dissatisfaction with God and with our fellow Christians. Well, in complete contrast to the attitude of the majority of the spies was the the positive attitude of Caleb and Joshua. We read this in chapter 13 and verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Well, they weren't just adopting that sort of positive, macho, can-do attitude. They weren't saying, well, if we repeated it often enough, then we'll sort of believe it. No, rather they were confident because they trusted in God to equip them and protect them. You see that in chapter 14, verse 8 onwards. Notice the way God's name comes up three times. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. You see, whilst the majority in their reporters just left God out of their thinking and were overwhelmed by the challenges they faced, Caleb and Joshua saw that their people could overcome any difficulties if only they obeyed God and tried to please him in all that they did. Sadly, the Israelites rejected Caleb and Joshua's appeal to them to, to trust God and to go forward. If we read on in chapter 14, we'd find that they even talked about stoning the two of them. They wanted to destroy those messengers because their message made them realize their own spiritual inadequacy. And later on in the chapter, again, the fiery cloud that symbolized the glory of the Lord appeared at the entrance. At the tent of meeting, that was the sort of portable shrine that they carried along on their journey. And God spoke to Moses about how the people were rejecting his way. And God's judgment was that he would still fulfill his promise to bring the Israelites into the promised land, but only after a delay of 40 years. That generation of adults who didn't trust God to lead them and who'd planned to return to Egypt well, they'd all die during that period of wandering through the wilderness. And they'd miss out on enjoying the fulfilment of God's promise for themselves, and it would be their children who entered the land. And as for the ten leaders who'd incited the and Rebellion, well, they died from some virulent disease there and then. And only the two leaders who'd shown faith in God would survive to lead the people into the promised land. As we read in verse 24 of Numbers 14, God said, Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. As the old Sunday school rhyme goes, So Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephani were the only two who ever got through to the land of milk and honey. Great. So the whole incident is a serious warning to subsequent generations of God's people. And that includes us, of the dangers of missing out on the best that God wants for us through our disobedience or lack of faith. The letter to the Hebrews, quite well on in the New Testament, finds just this message in the story of the Israelites' long journey through the wilderness and the lessons that were drawn out from it there in, in Hebrews, sometimes quoting one of the Psalms. I'll just read a little from Hebrews chapter 3. If you've been where we have two readings next service, we'll have this as the other one. Hebrews 3, verse 12. See to it that, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if we hold firmly till the end, the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, quoting from one of the Psalms, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And it's not just the danger of missing out on our place in God's new heaven and earth when we die. Although that is what it will mean if we completely reject God's way and his offer of forgiveness in this life but we can also miss out now on the ways that god can direct us to help others to spread his message of new life and that often also means missing out on that sense of peace and fulfillment that comes from being involved in spreading god's kingdom in this world I think we need to notice that we're different, aren't they? Earlier on we were thinking about, are we glass half full, glass half empty sort of people? And if we're the sort of people who are generally more cautious or unwilling to take risks, have a greater fear of the unknown, it's worth reminding ourselves that God knows that we're like that, even better than we do ourselves. He knows the temperament he's given us. He knows the life experiences that have shaped our character. So he knows how hard we might find it to launch out in faith, and he won't test us beyond our ability to cope. But he also knows if we're always putting our own comfort and security first. I think I should give another word of reassurance at this point. I don't believe, as some Christians seem to do, that God has a total detailed blueprint for our lives, just one detailed plan for our career and family circumstances, and that if we disobey or fail to step out in faith at any point, well, that's the end of any chance of usefulness or fulfillment. Rather, I believe that God continues to show us the mercy and forgiveness that he's shown us ever from the start, Though we should never presume on that mercy by deliberately turning away from him. if our faith wavers in the face of some big challenge, or if we find we do give in to some temptation, there is still a way back to the path of following Christ. We may well miss out on the best that we could have experienced, but God in his love and mercy still offers us new opportunities to serve him, new opportunities to be blessed by him. And that same challenge of whether we see mainly problems or opportunities is there for us not only as individual Christians, but as a church. So we need to refresh our collective memory of all that God has done for us as a church so that we trust him for the future. Most of you know that I'm also the church treasurer, as well as a preacher from time to time. And I need to remember how God wonderfully moved people to give over a million pounds towards that new community centre building where we will be sharing tea and coffee and uh, thinking about these things a bit more afterwards. I think, well, God moved people to give a million pounds for that. Surely I can trust him for the hundreds or perhaps thousands we need to carry on his work, his mission here. Those of us who've been here for many years have seen how the number of staff in our church has grown and along with them, the number of church members giving their time to God's work with young and old and in catering, cleaning, coffee, creches, all those sorts of things. And it's not just a matter of resources, whether of money or of volunteers, that we need to remember and to remind each other of God's faithfulness. Even more important is the evidence of God's work in the lives of people of all ages, that we can see as we look around our different congregations in bringing them to faith, in supporting them in times of trouble, in helping them to grow as Christians and to be salt and light in the places where they live and work. Words that Paul wrote to the Philippians are true for us as a church today. He, God, he who began a good work among you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So how do you see yourself as you, as it were, drive along the motorway of life? Where are we as a church? Do you feel you're at the moment at at a junction, at a point of decision? Then ask God to help you to see the new opportunities that he's opening up in your life and to give you the courage to trust him, to support you in the challenges that you will face. What do you feel as it were, that you've missed a turning, then ask God to help you to turn back to him, to receive his peace and his healing for the past, and to discover the ways that he now wants to lead you and to use you in the future. Let's not just think of ourselves, but see how we can encourage others who are facing challenges or feeling regrets. We could ask someone we know about their experience on the, the spiritual motorways We're at the end of this service, over coffee or sharing with a member of the prayer team, I think, are available at the end of this service to, not sure about that, <laughs> wave violently if you're a member of the prayer team. Oh, there are, yes, so do <laughs> have a word with them and share some of your prayer if you'd like to as well at the end of this service. Let's pause just a moment to think for ourselves, are we at one of those junctions or Do we feel of Mr. Turning? And then in a moment I'll say a prayer. Loving Lord, go with us into the unknown world of the future and help us to follow where you lead. When we are anxious or afraid, may we know and share your peace. When we're called to step out in faith, give us fresh courage. When we feel that we're going to crash, hear our cries for help. And bring us all safely through the twists and turns of this life until we see you face to face, for your name's sake. Amen.